Hi all, welcome to Rigged, the random idea generator cast, where we randomly roll out characters, story, and world-building elements, and craft them into a finely tuned tale. We value collaborative storytelling, especially that which comes from D&D and RPGs in general. So, we've decided to take random elements and craft a story. It can be the germ you use to write, an adventure hook for your campaign, or even the basis for your character's backstory. We don't care what you do with it as long as you enjoy it. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm your host, Matt. We are two-thirds of the Brothers McGill. And together, we'll be using dice and spreadsheets to tell you a story. Let's get rolling. Now that we have all of our story elements rolled out and set, we have our characters, we have our world, now we're ready to tell our actual story. But the randomness isn't done. Oh, no. We'll be taking turns with this story. And in between, we're also going to make some rolls to determine what happens at certain points in that story. Consequences be damned. So welcome to Rigged, episode number three, the first of our two narrative casts where we uh, will be starting our story. I think maybe in case it's been too long since you heard what we're working with, Matt, why don't you tell us what we have in terms of ammunition for this story, what, what we've rolled out the last two episodes? Sure. In standard rigged fashion, we have three different characters along with a couple different uh, environmental world building details. Um, one of the first characters we'll go over is a, a grave cleric human named McCulloch. He is a young adult uh, of the chaotic neutral alignment. He's an outlander and he has a blank book whose pages do not hold um, any kind of script when it's placed upon them. Along with him is a wood elf warlock of the celestial subtype. Um, he's a male, name of Merle Morris. He is a chaotic good undead warlock um, who is or at one time was a soldier. And he also has a book, but his book is a, a tome of etiquette and manners with a little four-leaf clover pressed in between the pages. Nick, you want to tell us about Bradshaw? Sure. We've got our third party member is Bradshaw, another human, another magic user. This one is a storm sorcerer. Bradshaw has a, a, a secret gender, so we don't know what exactly uh, Bradshaw is. They are an elder. Um, they're a, just a straight-up neutral alignment with a charlatan background. Um, and the trinket that, that Bradshaw has is a silver teardrop earring made from an actual teardrop. And if you listen back to the last two episodes, we're not entirely sure how that's going to work in, um, if it does at all, which that's the beauty of it. These party members, the relationship that they all have going into this is that they're enemies forced to work together. So we've determined that um, because... McCulloch is a cleric of the grave. 
he would be natural enemies with an undead like the uh, the the wood elf warlock Merle, but they're being forced to work together to for a greater goal, and that greater goal is to um, clear out some wood elves in the forest that this no- that a noble wants to to build his uh, estate in or wants to use for hunting or whatever. And the wood elves are preventing that from happening. Um, so the MacGuffin, the whole goal is to bring the, to, to, to present the head of an enemy, whether that's metaphorical or not, they're basically hired to kill off the wood elves. Anything else, Matt? What'd I miss? Uh, no, I think you got it for the most part. Uh, Bradshaw, um, the way that Bradshaw fits in there is, Bradshaw's kind of the overseer of this this group of magic users that uh, McCulloch wants wants into. He, uh, he wants to be a part of, and this is kind of a uh, almost a test, uh, the final test, I guess, to get into this group. So we kind of know relative relationships between all three characters and uh, how everything is supposed to to shake out. For the most part, we just need to figure out how to get there. Right. Right. So we're going to start with some storytelling. One of us is going to start. Um, and then after a little bit, we're going to have a a role. We're going to continue rolling to determine what happens at a certain point in the story. Once that point is determined, the other person who was not narrating will be taking over the story basically starting at the consequences of that role. So uh, how about we just roll for initiative and see who goes first? Sounds good. Ooh, I got an 18. Uh, Yeah, I got a seven. All right. All right. So I will start. We open on dawn in a forest. There is a party of three humanoids a wood elf and two humans standing just on the outskirts of this forest and it's it's almost as if they're waiting to go in because once they actually finally go in there's no turning back and McCulloch the the uh the cleric is very wary and very seemingly uncomfortable um, with his companion, Merle, the undead wood elf warlock. Um, but Merle has got a spring in his step. He seems, he, he can sense that, that McCulloch is uncomfortable with him, but he, he's not going to let that ruin his day. Um, he's going he's gonna to win McCulloch over with his charm. And hopefully, at the end of all of this, McCulloch can um, can set him to uh, send him to his greater destiny. And, but as they're as they're standing there waiting, Bradshaw is right behind them, waiting for them to go. And after a few minutes of them not going, Bradshaw finally says, "Well, are, are we going to do this or what? We're we're being paid to do a job, so let's let's do it. Let's get it done." Um, so with a sigh, McCulloch takes a step in, looks back at Merle and says, why don't, why don't you lead the way? 
You know the way to the Wood Elves. You know how to get us there. You should lead the way. And I feel more comfortable with you in front of me than behind me anyway. Merle lets this go. He, he, he doesn't, doesn't take it personally. He understands what's going on. It's a religion thing, whatever. Um, so he just, he just shrugs and smiles and, and says, yeah, okay. So he takes the lead. And they they walk in, and it's a beautiful morning. It's the 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 mist is is evaporating off of the 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 grass. It's nice a nice cool breeze in the warm summer season uh, in this morning. And uh, if they didn't have such a crummy job to do, such a um, tragic job to perform, it would be a nice little walk in the woods. You know, you hear the birds starting to chirp and, uh, and, and it's nice. You see wild berries and uh, uh, Merle stops to pick one and then remembers that he doesn't eat anymore. And that's the first time we actually see Merle sad um, when he can't enjoy a nice, a nice fresh berry off the, uh, off the bush. So with a sigh, he, he kind of nods his head and, and trucks on. And uh, makes his is makes his way down the path, and there are um, a series of of branches off of the path as they they continue to make their way. And every time they come upon a fork or or a branch or something, Merle moves with complete confidence, complete confidence. He knows exactly where he's going, or at least he seems to know exactly where he's going, and. Over over the the minutes and and that lead into the hours, he they, he leads them deeper and deeper into this forest. And even though the sun is rising, and uh, it's getting brighter outside there, since they're going thicker into the forest, it's actually becoming darker and dimmer. And for Merle, that's not an issue because he has decent night vision. But the the two humans are starting to squint a little bit. Um, just because of how thick this forest really is. Uh, they, they stop to discuss and they eventually decide that, yeah, maybe, maybe we do need a torch. So even though they don't want to kind of give themselves away, it would be useless for them to just be fumbling around in the dark. So they, they, they light a torch that they make Merle hold. Um, so if any if anything's going to be attacking light, it'll be it, they attack Merle, um, and they they continue on their way. They continue on, and it's start in and they're going even deeper. That it's starting to get chilly, even though it's the height of summer and the sun is starting to 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 climb in the sky. So as as Merle's walking ahead with that torch held high as a beacon, um, both Bradshaw and McCulloch kind of pull their cloaks up around their shoulders, and Bradshaw doesn't seem really bothered by anything. He seems like a really, a really like wizened pro. He, Bradshaw has done missions like this before. Um, but because McCulloch is kind of a newbie and kind of, and this is still a new experience for him. He's still fresh, kind of green, green, was it green around the gills, wet around the gills? Um, he, he's, he's getting kind of a, a little creeped out, you know, just like he's in the dark, like he doesn't know what to expect. And, uh, and so he's, he's wary. He's got, uh, he's got his short sword out, 
kind of kind of casually held at the side, but he's he's still a little wary. Um, until finally, they come to a point that has four. It's basically a crossroads in this um, in these woods. Normally, normally it's just like a little fork in the path, but this seems to be two established paths that cross, and that that causes Merle to step back. It's the first time that they see Merle really have to think about which way to go or what to do in this situation. And he's, he doesn't seem terribly confident, but he finally does actually make a decision. And to make that decision, I think we'll use our first roll and we'll have Matt roll a D20. And just a reminder, all of the roles in narrative have a critical failure and a critical success. So Matt, why don't you roll that D20 and uh, and see what we get. Okay, we got a 12, which means they go back. They go back. Okay. All right. So uh, then Merle has never seen this crossroads before. So he clearly thinks that they took a wrong turn, so they turn back. Matt, take it away. To make up for Merle's lack of confidence or, uh, I guess, getting caught off guard, they kind of start to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, This is definitely not a place you want to be in the middle of the night. So they want to kind of get to the the wood elves, get to where they're supposed to go um, before too long so that they don't have to make a return trip and face whatever nocturnal creatures come out in this uh, this thick canopy of of uh, terror that happens when the uh, sun goes down, so they continue on. Merle is still holding that torch aloft. He's still walking forward. the uh, The two humans that are along with him, both um, McCullough and Bradshaw, they're looking around a little bit more now than they were before. They don't necessarily trust completely that Merle knows where he's going in the, in the forest anymore. Um, and that being said, by doubling back, Merle actually finds a path that at one point was, was completely open and, and well-traveled, but has since grown over. Um, there is a little bit of foot traffic in there, some, If you looked really hard and you had the skill of a ranger, maybe you could see, you know, broken leaves and and twigs and things that uh, denote uh, passage by by people or large creatures. So he stops, kind of looks at the uh, at that pathway with just a a sense of memory that, uh, you know, at one point I remember traversing this path. I may have even come down this way when I eventually went to, uh, to the village and, uh, you know, start, he, when he started his quest to, uh, fulfill his obligation to become a better elf, a better, uh, a, a better person in the eyes of, of the afterlife, a, a better undead, a better undead even. So upon seeing that he stops for a moment, takes a breath and then pushes forward. The other two behind him just keep following right along 
and they are met by a large clearing on the other side. They have to move through some pretty thick brush to get there, but it's a very nice clearing, maybe like a campsite, something along those lines, where there's a little fire pit in the middle. It's definitely been used recently. They stop where they are. They don't want to be caught off guard, obviously, um, because they're not at the Wood Elves yet. So this is not their mission. Fighting in this clearing is is not their mission, and they're going to try to avoid it at all costs. So they push Merle forward. Um, McCullough is more interested in having Merle check things out. Walk around that clearing a little bit. Hold your torch aloft. Let's see if there's anything in there that that would be dangerous or deadly to us. Um, We don't really have a a fighter or a barbarian. And um, while McCullough is skilled with a sword, he's... He's still fairly green, as you as you mentioned. So Merle walks around the the makeshift campsite in that clearing. Uh, the the coals in the fire are still they're still warm. They're still orange. They're not flaming, but it's it seems like it's just a matter of time before someone comes back and makes use of this once again. They come to the other side of the clearing, um, Merle motions to his his companions to just follow right along. It's okay. Come on through. We'll be fine. They continue on. Um, they press through the the growth and follow the, the makeshift path. It's still not, not a road by any stretch of the imagination, but Merle seems to have a better idea now where he's going um, since they backtracked. As they're moving along, they're they're walking as gingerly as they can, obviously. Uh, Merle, even though he's undead, he still is still light of foot, um, as light of foot as an undead uh, elf can be, obviously. But the other two, the humans, are not they're not adept at walking through the woods. They're sorcerer. It's a sorcerer and a cleric. They're they're um, they're more used to just trudging along in their own direction. Woods and and stealth be damned. As they're they're going along, though, they seem to uh, they hear something extra, something that's that's not the crunch of of twigs and leaves underneath the cleric's foot, not the uh, not uh, Bradshaw brushing leaves away from him as they they dangle in front of his face as he walks. No, this is coming from behind them. It's inching closer and closer, getting louder and louder. Seems to be quite close, honestly, at this point. Before uh, Merle can actually turn around with the torch and get to the front of the party, in front of whatever this is, a giant spider reaches out and pulls Bradshaw into a bush. And at this point, we're going to uh, roll another d20. Nick, you're going to have the honors on this one. It's a our conflict d20. And you uh, tell me what happens. All right. 14. Bribe. Bribe. Interesting. Okay. 
So um, Bradshaw is in the clutches of this spider at this point. And the other two obviously chased right after him. They can't lose Bradshaw. He's losing him would be horrible. He he's the leader. There's really nothing left for McCullough to join if if Bradshaw is gone. They have to go after him. The spider is getting ready to just drag Bradshaw off as quickly as possible. However, while they are stumbling through the brush. McCullough reaches into his just knapsack that he has carried with him, finds some trail rations, finds some some meat that he can uh, throw out onto the, the path. And as he does that, Merle comes up with the torch and starts to scare the spider a little bit. Obviously, the spider, seeing that fire in his all eight of his eyes, makes him recoil a little bit, loses his focus on Bradshaw, when he comes to, he notices these these other goodies on the trail. And he begins to go over to them quickly before uh while the others kind of scamper away. And Nick, that's up that's on you now. So the biter's distracted and they manage to pull Bradshaw back. And they, they get away. They're all a little flustered, but they, they manage to, to walk another say another five minutes. And then they hear a rustling again behind them. At first, Merle just thinks he's being paranoid because he, he's pretty shaken up by a giant spider. He, he thinks he's being paranoid, so he kind of ignores it. And then after he hears it again, very distinctly, and what he thinks is closer, he stops and turns back to the party and, and asks them. And they all... Again, they all think the same thing that he thought, that they were being paranoid, but they hear it too. So they stop and they think, well, if this is that giant spider again, we're going to have to address it eventually. We're going to have to kill it or, or do something with it. So they stop and they wait. They have, uh, they have Merle in the front with his torch and the uh, Bradshaw and McCullough wait behind him. And they just wait for whatever is rustling to show up. They think they feel that rather than be surprised, at least they can kind of set their own terms if this is going to be an instance of combat or some sort of antagonism. Um, and in D&D terms, they're setting themselves up to be able to roll initiative as opposed to getting a uh, surprise attack taken against them. So they're so they're there. And once they stop and that torch basically stays where it is, the rustling comes a little bit closer, but then it goes quiet as well. They realize that whatever's been following them also realizes that they stopped. They, they have to take a moment to assess, are we going to just ignore it and go? Are we going to start it ourselves and start start the trouble or what? They eventually determine that they they should really just get this over with because if they run into something else, they they don't want to be sandwiched. They don't want a giant spider behind them and a band of, of wood elves in front of them. So Merle just eventually decides to yell out and say, hey, we know you're following us. We don't want any trouble. If there's anything we can do, 
we'd be more than happy to cooperate with you and, and work with you. We're not looking for trouble, basically. And there's, there's a moment of silence. Everybody, you can just hear their breathing and the crackle of the torch um, as it burns away until another like five minutes of silence passes. And then the rustling begins again. And it's, it's heavy and it grows louder fast. And it's not, whatever it is, is not trying to, um, to hide its passage in any way. It, it's basically lumbering through the forest. And after a good another two or three minutes of just the sound of this thing approaching, it, it kind of bursts. Well, it doesn't burst. It's not running. But it, it comes through the darkness onto the path behind them. And it, it's this giant spider. And there's a moment of kind of a standoff. It's, it's like one is waiting for the other to act, basically. Finally, McCulloch just can't take it anymore and says, so you're following us. I see that. What, what can we do for you? What do you want from us? And, uh, and the spider eventually d- doesn't blink because spiders don't have eyelids. The, it, it looks at them thoughtfully. And then finally it says, you fed me. They say, yeah, well, you were going to, you were going to eat Bradshaw here. And the spider says, but nobody, nobody's ever fed me before. They're kind of baffled that they're a, that there's a, a very eloquently speaking spider and that it's, it's, it wants to kind of just have a conversation with them. So uh, eventually McCulloch kind of like acknowledges the fact and says, so do you want more food? If we give you more food, we can't survive this trip. But I do know we are going to a place that could have plenty of food for you. We could lead you there. We know how to get there. Would you, would you like to come with us? And the spider thinks for a minute and says, I, I've, I've never had luck with humans before they usually just try to kill me do you promise that that you're just going to be leading me to food and they 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 all look at each other and they they nod and they turn back to the giant spider and and they nod to the giant spider and say yeah like we have no reason if you promise not to try and eat us or hurt us we have no reason to to deceive you so yeah yeah if you if you join our party and you you help us and protect us from whatever's in these woods. Sure, we'll lead you there. We're not going to need any of that food. And and honestly, once I give them a blessing and perform the rite of of passing on all of these these bodies that we're going to end up with, you're you're more than welcome to any of those too. Who knows what you eat? And the the spider, if a spider could cry, there would be a tear in its eye at how how touched it feels now. It finally nods its giant spider head. And why don't we do our, our next roll here the, for the, the twist roll. Matt, give us a D20 roll to see what the twist is. That is a six. Wow. Yeah. It's perfect. We'll have to leave this cliffhanger dangling for another week. 
Come back to us in half a fortnight to hear the thrilling conclusion. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to Rigged, the Random Idea Generator cast. You can find me at ogscomics.wordpress.com. You can find us, as well as other casts in the Feckless Momes family, by heading on over to fecklessmomes.com. You can reach out to us at the site or directly by email at momes at fecklessmomes.com. Please, if you do like the show, rate and review us wherever you catch our casts. Subscribe while you're there, sneak onto your friends' phones, and subscribe there too. Rigged is a production of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. It was hosted by Matt and Nick McGill. It was produced by Nick McGill. Logo art by Matt McGill. You can find links to the materials we use in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.